I knew it was coming. I had prepared myself, I thought. But when it got there, I wasn't ready. My son was about four years old, I think. And uh, he'd been home with me and his mom like his whole life. I mean, like he didn't know anything. That was his whole life. It was his house. And the day came where I had to drop him off at preschool. <laughs> and, uh, and he was ready. But I was not. <laughs> I had to send, I, I remember watching him walk down that giant hallway with the tall ceilings. And it was so far away. He was just walking to face the world on his own without mom and dad. And he had some apprehension and some fear about it at first. And we explained to him, man, we're going to be gone. It's going to be four hours a day, four hours. And you would have thought that we told him, son, we are disowning you and sending you to boarding school. Uh, you can't come home anymore. You just got to leave and you can't come back, right? But like he had worked through it. But the morning came, and, and he was ready. But what I didn't realize is that I wasn't ready. I pride myself on being a dude who's like, I can deal with it, right? And there he goes. And I'm going to tell you, it was just like something right around here just broke. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's okay if you just want to stay home be four years old the rest of your life. That's fine with me. But I had to send him out to face the world on his own and all the rigors that preschool <laughs> has to offer. Bit by bit, guys, we have to let our kids go. Isn't it important? Uh, side note, I say this a lot when I'm talking about parenting. Uh, it is not your job, parents, at least this is my opinion, so take it for whatever you care it's worth. It is not your job to raise children. You know why? You already have children. It is your job to raise adults. Your purpose is to create a human being who can function and honors God out there, right? And so, but it turns out that one of the hardest parts is letting go. It's face by face. It's important for your kids to do dangerous things <laughs> that they could hurt themselves while doing. It's very important while you're standing there with them. Because one day when he's a grown man, he might need to use a chainsaw. <laughs> and it's a good thing that when he was 11 or 12, you showed him how to start it. And standing right next to him, you helped him do it. You didn't let him cut down the whole tree or throw it at his sister. But you showed him, and then you said, that's enough for today, right? That's important. So what do we do? The best we can do between now and that day is we can make a note of these three things. We can love them. We can model for them what it should look like. And we can instruct them on how to do things differently or better or whatever. And we give them chances to do things while we're there with them so that on the day that we're not with them, they can manage, right? That's parenting. Whoa, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Um, I am not preaching on parenting today. I'm not. But believe it or not, it is exactly like a moment that Jesus is having with his disciples in John chapter 17. If you want to grab your Bible, go ahead and turn over there. John chapter 17 is one of the Gospels, which is one of the four biographies of the life of Jesus that we have in the Bible. If you need a Bible, we always have free Bibles you can use in the lobby. In the lobby. Go grab one, keep it for yourself, or just use it for the, the day. Look it up on your phone. It's going to be on the screens here beside me. But in John chapter 17, this is a section where Jesus prayed a really long prayer. It was actually like two chapters of the Bible long. And the reason he's saying this prayer is because he's about to go through with his act on the cross. He's about to allow himself to be crucified. He's going to die. He's going to raise from the dead. He's He's going to go off to heaven. And he knows that these people, these disciples, these followers that he's been pouring into, pouring into, pouring into for so long are about to have to face the world on their own without Jesus right there to help them. And so I want to take a look 
at John 17, and we're just going to look at, we're going to look through the majority of the rest of this prayer. We're not going to go all the way back to chapter 15 where it starts. And just see this moment and this transition and what Jesus' heart is, and then tie it into how it impacts our lives. So John 17, starting at verse 11. Remember, he's in prayer right now, so imagine he's talking to the Father. I will remain in the world no longer. But they, his disciples, they're still in the world. And I'm coming to you. So Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and I kept them safe by that name you gave them, gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. He's talking about what happened with Judas betraying him and stuff. Verse 13, but he says, but I, I'm coming to you. But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Now remember, Jesus is God in the flesh. And there's this really interesting, deep, and crazy thing where as Jesus is praying to the Father, he's also God in the flesh. He in this moment is God as a father realizing, I got to send my followers off to face the world on their own. Let's talk about the world. Big, you see my big air quotes? The world. That's our phrase today. Um, today when I say the world, I'm not talking about like the dirt and rocks and the actual planet. You know, this, the, that is the world too. I'm talking about people. Society, culture, us, me and you. We are the world, right? We are the world. The subject of this whole series is based on a book called Live No Lies. And the whole idea is a concept that was actually created and discussed by ancient, ancient Christians. And they said that there are three enemies for our soul. We have three enemies waging war against our soul. The devil, the flesh, and the world. Which I think I want to say like that every single time. And if you missed the first two, the devil and the flesh, uh, we, we, we did them already. They're on the podcast. Um, I, I believe they're important teachings. Uh, you can find our podcast on any podcast player. Um, and so just search for Venture Church. Look for our church's like, logo, the V that's on the building outside. Uh, we're also on YouTube where we have a playlist for every single sermon series we've done since we started recording stuff um, back, back around COVID time. <laughs> so uh, if you're ever going to watch some sermons, you can do that. But back to this passage, we're going to start looking at the world. In John chapter 17, Jesus, who spent years with his followers, what was he doing? I said three things at the beginning. He was loving them, loving them as they were. He, some of them came from some crazy background. He was just loving them. He was, too, modeling for them truth. This is what it looks like. And then he was instructing them. Okay, you've seen me do it. I've seen you do it. Here's some ways to do it better. Here's some things that can help you follow me better. And in this moment, Jesus is about to be like a parent, dropping his kid off at school or wherever, college, sending him off with his driver's license for the first time, whatever, and saying, listen, you, you have seen me do it. You know I love you. You've had some instruction. And they've got to go off and face the world. So we're going to pick the prayer back up. By the way, uh, parents, this isn't a parenting sermon, but this is some good stuff. When you don't know what to do with your kids, or for your kids, pray for them. That's what Jesus is doing. John 17, verse 14. He said, I have given them your word. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. No, G Jesus here is talking about truth. He's like, I've given them truth. This is a whole series based on like fighting the lies of the world with truth. I've given them your world, and he says, and, and, and they, and we, us today, we are not of the world. 
we're different. We're from somewhere else. So today as we wrap up this series, I, I just want to kind of end on a really encouraging note because this has been a series that I lo- I've talked to so many of you about the stuff we talked about. It can have been heavy for you. Some of you have dealt with some serious wrestling with stuff in your life, and that's good. That's why I put this series in January. We're most likely to be aware of these things in our life in January. Guys, I did a sermon called The Devil. I just, you, you'd tell me 10 years ago I was going to do a sermon called The Devil. I'd have been like, I'm probably not going to do that sermon. But I'm telling you, there is an enemy that is against us. There is a war against our soul. When I said, the, I felt like Bobby Boucher's mom was like, the devil is the devil, Bobby. Foosball's the devil. Some of you get the reference. Some of you don't. Here's the thing. It is not fun to talk about spiritual war. It is not exciting to be like, hey, listen, uh, when you leave here, it's dangerous. There are demons out there. They're going to fight. In fact, so much so that a lot of Christians, just we just ignore it. We don't talk about it. But if you read the stories of Jesus, there was not a second where he was unaware of this. So I think we would be foolish to be like, eh, it's important to understand, like the undercurrent that's causing problems in your life most likely has a spiritual origin. And we should adopt what every other culture in world history has recognized, that there is a spiritual component to our being. Until humanism hits the scene, every culture was like, something spiritual is going on. I don't explain it. It's ethereal. And Jesus believed it and he talked about it. And so we talked about the flesh last week. That's the physical part. And we understand, I mean, I spent half an hour talking about that, so I won't dive into it anymore, but we understand, we enjoy some things that are not good for our souls, and it's like spiritual junk food. And so that's important. And so the idea that even the world can be our enemy, like that's, that sounds terrifying. Is it safe to even go outside? What do I do? Like, and there's this sky is falling mentality, but the idea that I want to do today is I want to rally our troops. And so I want to do it in two two ways, okay? First of all is this. I just want to open the closet, and I want to look at the monster in the closet, or under your bed, wherever you keep your monsters, okay? We're just going to open it. We're going to look at the world. And then what I want to do, which is the important thing you should always do when there's monsters, is I want to turn on the lights. And I want to expose more truth that will give us hope about the things that can harm us. So let's do it. Monsters, light, ready? Here we go. First, let's open the closet, look at the monster. Let, Let me ask a question. Is the world bad? Is the world dangerous? Like, will the world hurt you? Beverly's right. The answer is, yeah. Yeah, the, the world can hurt you. The world is bad. There's evil in the world. Like, I'm not up here being a doomsdayer. I'm just saying, open your eyes. <laughs> and just look, like, the world as a whole, cultural society stuff can be dangerous and it can hurt you. But I don't want to just say things without qualifying it with scripture. So let's just take a look at, we're going to time out on that prayer Jesus was saying. We're going to come back to it. I don't want to take a look at what the apostle John said in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 starting at verse 15. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, listen to this, love for the father is not in him. If anyone loves the world, love for the father is not in him. For everything in the world. So he's going to kind of Make a bullet-pointed list of like, what, when I say the world, what do I mean? Okay, this is what he means by the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the three things he kind of calls the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We'll talk about that in a second. Those things come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires, though, I'm telling you, this is going to be encouraging. They pass away. The world will not last. It will not rule forever. But those who do the will of the Father, they will live forever. 
So John uses some interesting words here, and I want to call them out. He, he uses love, and did you notice what else he used in addition to love? He used lust. And it's interesting that he talks about love and lust. They're, they're kind of opposites. Lust is kind of a counterfeit love. It's got a lot of the nuances of love, especially when we talk about romance and physical attraction and intimacy and stuff. But, but lust is selfish, which love is not. They're polar opposites. You, cannot also, you can't love and lust at the same time because they, they can't exist together. But they, they sometimes can be, count, like lust can counterfeit love. And we can think we're in love or that we love something. And the truth is we're just lusting it because lust is about selfishness. It's about pleasing myself. And so he says, don't love the world or anything of the world. And he takes the whole thing of the world. And he breaks it into these three categories. I'm just going to do them kind of quick. I, I jot them down, study them. There's been so much written on these three word phrases. But first he says, the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. I spent 36 minutes talking about lust of the flesh last week. Okay, if you missed it, go check the podcast. There's a lot in there, and it's exactly what you think it is. Okay, <laughs> it's like our body likes things, and a lot of the things that we like are contrary to what God has called us to in holiness. Some of the things that we like actually have, like we talked about sexual sin a couple different times in this series. Like that was created in a context that God said, that's fine, that's good. But when you use it outside of the context, which by the way is married, married people, that's the context for sex the only context that the Bible talks about and approves. But like, God created this for good, but lust turns it into bad for us. It's lust of the flesh. Second, he says lust of the eyes. There's been a lot written about this. And like the one, like the boil it down packaging of this that I can give you, that I walk away with, is like lust of the eyes is kind of maybe greed. You follow that? Like the world tells you, you just need more. And so like I see it, I want it, I take it. Maybe greed or maybe like lack of contentment, if you want to do the converse of that. Like, and one of the biggest things the world tells you is you, you need more, you need better. I mean, you have the, the iPhone like 39, but boy, you need the iPhone 40. Like, I'm telling you, the camera is like six inches bigger, and it's going to be so much better for you. Right? And like, you just watch the commercial, you're like, ding, they're right. Yeah, I'm, I'm really not complete without the new iPhone. And so that's lust of the eyes, maybe, and that's kind of where, that's a simplification of it. And then the last one I want to spend a little bit more time on, because I think it's more all-encompassing. He says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What is that? Again, there's probably a lot. I don't want to oversimplify it, but pride of life is like putting myself at the center of the universe. I'm most important. What I need most is what matters most, and I really don't care what it takes to get there. And, like, I think this is easily illustrated when you look at the slogans of the most popular brands of the world. I'm about to sting us all for a second. Nike. What is it? Just do it, man. Just do it. Pride of life. Just do it. Coca-Cola. They've had a bunch. The one I wrote down was open happiness. Because that's what you need. You need to be happy. McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Who's loving it? I'm loving it. I'm loving it. It's for me. One of my favorite brands, L'Oreal. You know what they say? Because you're worth it. That's why you should wear it, because you're worth it. MasterCard. You know, there's some things that money can't buy, but for everything else, there's MasterCard. You can have it. It's yours for the taking. Canon. They make cameras and printers. I, I didn't know this one, but it's interesting. Delighting you always that's their goal i feel that way every time i print something off I'm like, man that is i printed that sprite has had a couple their most recent one is this thirst for yours red bull 
gives you. Look, I'm not dogging any of these brands. I like a lot of them. So let's go to McDonald's. Not the one on Market Street. It takes way too long. But let's go to McDonald's. I'm loving it. But the whole thing is, these major corporations understand the, the, the doctrine and the currency of the pride of life. They understand that your flesh wants to be pleased. And so they want to sell you the idea that if you send us money and you buy stuff, so like, I'm not, again, this, I'm not saying the sky is falling. I'm not a doomsday guy. I'm just saying, open our eyes. The world is out there saying the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Jesus said, what good is it for a person to gain the whole world, yet lose their soul? Or who can give anyone, or sorry, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So often we're trying to trade it. Is the world dangerous? Is it bad? Will it hurt us? Yeah, some scriptures letting us know, and this was written a long time ago, and I think we've arguably gotten worse. So, okay, so, the monster in the closet. Is it real? Yeah, it's in there. It's ugly, it's got big old teeth, nasty matted hair. Like, the world is out there, okay? There are liars, there are cheap cheaters, the, 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 you, know, you know, there are bad things that go against God that you like and you want to do, and it's tempting, and, and you knew that, right? Okay, monsters in the closet. Okay, change gears. But also, God is for the world. The church, I think, has often been super guilty of just being like, God hates the world. People put detestable things on signs in the name of God. And I think sometimes God's like, I, well, hold on now, hold on, I don't hate those people. <laughs> uh, uh, no, because the world is people. Let's look at the most famous verse in the Bible probably, John three sixteen, For God so loved who? The world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, that anyone who believes in him doesn't have to perish and suffer an eternity and separation from God, but can have eternal life. And then verse 17 is even more powerful. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So yeah, there's a monster in the closet, but let's turn on the light because God is for the world. He's not just out here trying to bash everybody in the head and send anybody to hell. That is not his goal at all. Hell is a choice maybe we make. But his hope is that we will turn to him. So let's get back to Jesus' prayer. Okay, that was a little side journey. Let's get back. Let's turn the lights on. Verse 15, Jesus is praying. He's like, Lord, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Let me read that again. As you have sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. For them I sanctify, my, sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. You know, there's a portion of Christianity, and it seems like there always has been throughout history, that is just so scared of the world that they just move away. They, they start monasteries, they move into the woods, they create subcultures all over the place. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't blame them. There's been a lot of times where I've looked at my wife and be like, let's go find an island somewhere and nobody knows that we're there. And let's just take our little family 
and let's just go and let's just live off the land because I don't want my kids to have to be raised in all this mess and I don't want to have to deal with it and I have no idea what voting in November is even for anymore. And so like, like there's all these things, you know what I mean? And you have all this stuff and I get it. I get wanting to like just get away. I get that. But that's like the opposite of what Jesus taught. It's like the complete opposite. Jesus wants his followers to be the resistance. We love the resistance. I'll tell you why I know we love the resistance. The top grossing movies of all times all have resistance movements. Star Wars, man, the rebels. Look, man, the rebels, like, they were just out there, and they're, like, they're like hiding on moons and, like, in the woods and in the snow and bunkers and all kinds of stuff. You know why? Because they're the good guys, and they're the underdogs, and they stand as a resistance to the evil empire, Darth Vader. Like, that's, that's the story. We love it because it's in a gold school, Robin Hood. We want to rob from the rich and give to the poor. Stick it to the man, the resistance. Harry Potter, these teenagers, man, there's like a dark lord that can take your soul and put it in a book. <laughs> and they're like, I'm 14. Ah! You know, it's like, but th that's the resistance, and we get behind that. And I know the Order of the Phoenix was, they were the big dogs. But you know what I'm saying? Like, we, we, lo we love these stories, and I, I have a theory because we're created in the image of God. So I believe it's implanted in our very mind and soul to know there's a better way. We can stand in opposition to this thing. And we don't have to run and hide. We don't have to put our heads in a hole in the ground. Live in a cave. We can stand as a resistance. In the Bible, the resistance movement was called the remnant. You familiar with this concept? It's mostly in the Old Testament. And so no matter how bad society got, even when the nation of Israel, who were God's chosen people, even, even they got really far from God. They were doing some really, really bad things. But it kept saying, but God preserved a remnant. And from that remnant is a seed of truth, of hope, of life, of light. And always from that remnant, God would rise up a leader and they would grow a movement and would preserve the truth of God And Jesus takes this remnant idea, and Jesus starts a revolution. Listen, this is what Jesus said in the prayer that we just read. If you're a Jesus follower, you are not of this world. Because by definition, you have pledged allegiance to a new king and a new kingdom. And you're part of a revolution. And there's a resistance movement, and there's revolutionaries. And listen, they, they always, throughout history, have done it through peaceful stuff. I'm not talking about crazy junk. I'm talking about being a presence in the world that makes a difference by shining the light of Jesus. And so that's why Jesus says in verse 17, I want to read this verse to you. He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify is a really good, good, good word. It sounds kind of like religious and ceremonial, but it's so much more than that. It's a cousin to the word holy. They have linguistic roots together. But the word sanctify means to set apart, uh, to make special, to reserve for something important. Uh, like, like in my family, like for example, I really like Little Debbie Nutty Bars. I'm a big fan, right? But I know that my son will eat the whole box before I can even get one. And so I might sanctify that box. I'm going to set it apart. I'm going to put it somewhere secret that I will not name at this time. Why? Because I want it to be safe and I want it to be there when I need it. 
And to take that mentality and say, Jesus says, listen, my people are not of this world, so sanctify them in your truth. Make them different. Set them apart. Not send them out into a cave somewhere and stick their head in the ground. No. But protect them so that they can have purpose beyond just living in this world. You know what God's response, his solution to the world is? The world. His solution is the church. Us. Like, let's just look at a list of things that the church has done through the years that, that I mean, and granted, throughout history, the church has done some deplorable, despicable things, and those people were not living in truth and not living for Jesus. And so sometimes non-believers will look at the things that certain parts of the people that claim to be in the kingdom of God, and they'll say, see, the church is all bad. The church is all bad. No, that, none of that was what Jesus instructed them to do, okay? So I'm talking about the, the pure followers of Jesus. It was Christians that started rescuing abandoned babies in the, early, in the Roman Empire when they first kind of started coming on. And people were literally putting their babies out with the trash because this isn't the one I wanted. This isn't the gender I was hoping for. We've got too many. I just didn't want it. Our slaves had a baby. Let's just put it out in the street. You know what Christians, they started doing? They did what they called baby hunts, which sounds terrible, but it was really good. They would go in these streets and they would scoop up the babies and they would take them to mothers who could nurse them and they would raise them as their own. And they began foster care and adoption and orphanages in a world that did not have such a thing. Who led the charge in that? The church, the resistance, the revolution, who stands starkly against the things of the world. You go fast forward a couple of centuries in the second and third century, there were plagues just wreaking havoc throughout the Roman Empire and people dying right and left. And guess what the Christians decided their job was? Hey, I heard someone was sick here. Can we come sit with you until you get better or until you die? And people's families were abandoning them to go live in the country, to get out of the cities, and the Christians say, we will stay. And that was what they were known for. During the Middle Ages, it was the church that preserved knowledge and wrote books. And there's a lot of things that confuses me about Christianity in the Middle Ages, but I'm telling you what, one thing that got us socially through the Middle Ages was the efforts of the church to say these things need to be preserved. You go to the 11th century, and it was Christians who tried to revive the idea of, of health care and hospitals. And hospitals and health care that we have today were built on the backs of believers, the church, Christians who stood in the resistance movement against the world who said, just let them die, those poor peasants. But people go, no, people deserve dignity and health. Let's create spaces for that. that that's the church. You fast forward to more modern times, it was Christian people who led abolitionist movements to end chattel slavery throughout Europe and North America. You come forward a little bit further into the 1960s, and you find the civil rights movement being led by Christians, notably black Christian ministers, who said, this is not how it works, and them speaking to their white counterparts and teaching them, this is not what Jesus wants for you. It was Christians who led this movement. Resistance to the, the world in the 1980s and 90s. There's all kinds of stories about refugees and movements that began from other countries. People as civil unrest, and this happens in America, where churches come together and say, okay, how do we create space for them? How do we let them come somewhere? It's not convenient. It's not easy to figure out. And today, even today, the church is leading the charge in human trafficking and dealing with uh, things like uh, emergency disaster relief. And that's not to say that other people in the world aren't doing things. I'm telling you, it is the church who throughout history has stood as a resistance movement to the world who just said, you just do it your way. Do what makes you happy. And people who are leaning into what Jesus taught said, no, Jesus wants me to love the least of these. 
He wants me to put other people first, even at my own inconvenience. Jesus' answer to the world was the church. And let me make it clear, like Jesus is the only source for freedom from our sin and grace. I'm not saying like we as people are the ones that like are the salvation. But building on the idea that we believe in Jesus, like let me tell you, it, it, Jesus could have just taken his magic wand and just healed all of evil in the world. But he didn't. Instead, he puts it in our hands. Let's look at a couple places where that happens. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And so let your light shine before other people so that they can see your good deeds. And then give glory to your Father in heaven. He puts it right back on us. I'll give you the strength. I'll give you the power. We talked about his Holy Spirit for two weeks in a row. It comes from him. First Peter, this is the Apostle Peter 2.12. He says, look, you need to live such good lives among the pagans. That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Or check out 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore... Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And Jesus' final words to his disciples, we call this the Great Commission. He says to those people standing, he said, therefore, go. You, you guys, you guys, I'm sending you off to preschool or college or whatever. I'm not going to be right, I'm going to be around, but it's going to be different. You go and make disciples of all nations. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I want you to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And unlike me who had to send my kids off to preschool and whatever and I couldn't be in the room with them, he says this, but surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. Church, we are the resistance. We call it in our vernacular here at Venture Church, we call it creating pockets of heaven. That everywhere we go, people will look at who we are and say, man, that's different. But for us to be the resistance, we have to be sanctified. We have to act different. At 42 years old, I still struggle with the idea of like, maybe I really should just give up on that show I was watching. Because that's like sinful, the stuff that they do. It's going in my brain. I'm going to challenge you. It's a thought. Just a thought, okay? Uh, Let's talk about cussing for just a quick second. I want to let you know I can cuss a blue streak as good as anybody, all right? And I'm not afraid of it. Maybe there's times when it's like, that word seems to make the most sense here. But let me tell you something. When you're standing with a broad group of people, especially people who don't have the exact same faith as you, and your, and your language matches the language of the world, what makes anyone else think that you're different? This isn't about being a goody-goody. This isn't about a stick in the mud. This is about you making intentional decisions so that can, we can be what Jesus says in Matthew 5, a city on a hill. That people can look at that and be like, oh, that's different. When people come into our houses, when people interact and see how you treat your spouse and your kids, when people see how you do business, do they look at you and go, man, that's, that's different from the world? Well, they're so generous in what they do. They're so kind. They're so loving. They're so patient. They're so humble. Wow. That's different. Because I'm going to tell you, throughout history, for over 2,000 years, it has been working. People are attracted to the nature of God. And everywhere we go, if we have these things in our life we're intentionally doing, Not because we're goody-goody and we're the ones trying to be the Savior, but because we say, listen, I need to be different. I need to act different. My family should be different. And it might mean that I miss out on some things that the world's pretty excited about. How cool would it be when someone's talking about the big show on Netflix and you're like, actually, you know, I started watching that. It gets 
it gets, it gets pretty crass, so I turned it off. They're like, what? And they make it, they remember that, okay? Oh, he's, he's the guy who turned off the show. You know what you're going to miss out on? All the conversations. Uh, but you know what? In six months, nobody cares. It doesn't matter. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? So we get to create pockets of heaven everywhere that we, everywhere that we go to be a resistance. I would like to think that we in this little pocket right here on Darlington Avenue are a resistance movement. I love the friends I've made in this neighborhood over here, but I also have witnessed, and, and some of you guys who live over there can say it. This is not me like throwing stones. That, that, that they're, they're, there are some kids in this neighborhood who maybe don't have someone looking out for them. They're out all hours of the night, and someone's not making sure they go to bed at a reasonable time and do their homework and get up and go to school the next morning. Maybe the people they live with are not in a position where they can you know, do that, and they, they need some help. But I would love to think that we would be a place where we could create space where say, hey, listen, we want to love each other, and let's just come alongside and help. And it's not just here. It's all over the place. Maybe at your work, where there's someone in your office who just keeps on cheating on his timesheet and his invoices and all this stuff, and you can be like, hey, you know, I just don't think that's going to work out best for us in the end. And creating a resistance movement that says this is a safe place for us to be loved where we are. And that we can model what it looks like to follow Jesus. And then when the relationship is built, we can begin to instruct and help and come alongside so that Jesus can be glorified. Okay, so where do we go with this? We wrap up Jesus' prayer, John 17, 20. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, the disciples, not just for the disciples. I love this. He's praying for his disciples, but he says, not just for them. I pray also for those who will believe in me through the message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world, the world, may believe that you have sent me. The world isn't the enemy. I mean, in a sense, the world's an enemy, an enemy to your soul. But man, we, we can stand as a light in the darkness. We can be the hope for someone who feels hopeless. And we can do what's within our power. The devil, the flesh, and the, real, and, and the world, as long as human beings have been around, have been at war with our soul. But listen to what the Apostle John says, 1 John 4, 4. He says, you, dear children, are from God. And have overcome them. Because listen to this. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. We don't have to live in fear. Because Jesus has promised that he will be with us through it all. So our challenge this week. I love to leave us with a challenge. And this one's going to be a doozy. Okay, so you're going to have to think about it. Our challenge this week is this. Clarify in your head. How you are intentionally serving the church, a capital C church, not just venture church, but like the kingdom of God. Clarify in your head how you are intentionally serving with the church to be the resistance in the world and to lead more people to the truth of Jesus. Because that is your call if you're following Jesus today. Your call is to stand as light in the darkness. Not just like, I go to church on Sundays, I let, I let Chris and then those guys on stage do that. I mean, we got to all do it. So clear, how? How? How are you Standing as light in the darkness. Who are the people that you can minister to? What is the thing you can do with your time and your talents and your treasures? How can you come along someone to help love them as they are 
and model for them what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God and instruct them in the truth of God to fight against the lies of this world. I'm just going to leave that up there as we, as we kind of wrap up. Uh, the key to overcoming the world is to plug into the resistance. I said the church was Jesus' answer to the world. So are you plugged into the church? There's another analogy Jesus has used about a vine and branches. And he says if, you, if you're, not attacked to, you're not attacked to like the trunk of the tree, you're going to die. <laughs> so are you, are you attached to the source? Like you plugged in with a local body of people and like you really have relationships and you can grow in that. For the whole last month, we had signups for small groups. It's not too late. You can still join a small group, but a group that you could join and have conversations with and grow. Someone could model for you. Someone could love you. Someone could instruct you. You could grow in that. So let me give kind of two sides of this coin on the first side. If you're a person this morning who has never accepted Jesus, like you didn't make Jesus your king, you, you might like say you're a Christian, but I'm talking about like you were like, no, there was a definitive moment that said from this point on, I'm living for Jesus. If you've never done that, if you never proclaimed Jesus, or if you did it a long time ago, and man, you just, you just have, you need, to re, you need to revisit that. Can I encourage you to make today your day? I try to give this invitation every single week, but I'm telling you, today needs to be the day. Join the resistance, man, it's amazing. It's beautiful. Pockets of heaven all over the place, resisting the devil so that he will flee, and showing people the hope and love of Jesus. Maybe today's your day. In the Bible, when we see someone come to Jesus, we see every single convert in the New Testament. The first thing they do is they get baptized. They don't even understand all the things they're doing. But we're taught by the, 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 the Apostle Peter that in baptism we receive the forgiveness of our sins, the gift of his Holy Spirit. We proclaim our repentance. Do you need to do that? Do you need to refresh those vows with God? Let's do that today, guys. Let's have one of those moments like not where it's like, okay, church is over and I'm going to saunter out and just go find lunch. No, like get excited in your heart. Decide, how am I going to plug into the resistance? So maybe you got to choose it in the first place. A couple of our elders are here. I see uh, Jim and John right over here in the corner. I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I'm just going to go stand right here. Maybe you're like, I just need to be bold. You want to come talk to me in the corner? Come find me. I'll be right there. Whatever it is, there's a song that we can talk through, and then we can talk later. You can talk to them. Join. Join the resistance. Be part of the solution. And the other side of it is if you already have done that, you already have joined the resistance, you've given your life to Jesus, Get on mission. Let's do it. Let's do it. Like, actually, right now, probably none of you are going to move to some deepest, darkest jungle city and, like, work with natives that don't speak your language. I'm talking about, like, start with your family. Make hard decisions. We're not going to talk to each other like that. I'm not going to treat you like that. At least for me, I'm going to do that. We're going to stop watching this show. We're going to stop whatever. And then let it progress on from there. Your career, your neighborhood, your extended family, your friends. Because God is good. And yes, the devil, the flesh, and the world are trying to bang at our door, but turn on the lights. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The church is the body of Christ on earth. And Jesus is our head. And when we gather together, we gather together as that to be his hands and his feet on mission to go into the world and make a difference. Guys, let's live no lies. Let's walk in truth. We are the church. Let's pray.